Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 222. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If Episode 6, What If Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark, directed by Brian Andrews, written by Matthew Chauncey. AC Bradley is the head writer of the series. Before we start talking about this latest episode, just want to let you know about the premium content that we have available for subscribers on Patreon as well as Apple Podcasts, and that includes the exclusive podcast series Fan Show Plus, which will feature on its latest episode the breakdown, our breakdown of the Hawkeye trailer for the upcoming Disney Plus series. So you can access that over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or if you search for MCU Fan Show on Apple Podcasts and go to our channel, not just the show, but the channel, you will see the subscription option so you, that you can receive that exclusive Fan Show Plus podcast. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to those of you who have already taken the time to do so. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing very, very well. I just started my rewatch of Black Widow the first time since I saw it the first time in the theaters. And uh, we were discussing it before the recording. But I, I want to tell everyone how much I love Florence Pugh as Yelena. Oh, my God. She is just oh, she's amazing. Like, I, I cannot wait to see her back on the screen again. She is such a like just electric personality on screen. It's charisma out the out the wazoo, man. She's fantastic. I can't wait for her to show up so, soon. Yeah, I mean, she'll be showing up in a couple months in Hawkeye. So based on she's in Hawkeye. Well, look what the post-credit scene in Black Widow sets up. And also, yes, uh, it was true. reported that she is part of the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. She was not visible, however, in the trailer that we will break down on the next episode no. of Fan Show Plus. Another plug for the premium subscription. So yes, she is amazing in Black Widow and a huge breakout star. Well. She had already broken out as a star as an actress. She's already an Academy right. Award nominee. So no surprise there that she was as great as she was in Black Widow. But yes, like you, and I'm sure many, many, many of our listeners, if not every single one of our listeners, uh, are all looking forward to seeing this character and her future in the MCU, not just in Hawkeye, but surely in several stories beyond that. But for this edition of MCU Fan Show, this will be our spoiler review of Episode 6, and I am happy to say that this is, I think, a return to form for What If on Disney+. Plus. As I'm sure those of you who are caught up on the podcast know, I was not a big fan of last week's episode. Paul was not a big fan either. And that is a very uncommon place for me to be in as an MCU fan to get a new installment and just think, eh, I didn't really care for that one. It wasn't really my jam. But this one was. I absolutely loved it this sixth episode of What If. I really liked it on the first watch, and I've watched it a couple more times since then as the week has gone on. And the more I watch this episode, the better it gets. And it's Killmonger as we, I mean, a character that we loved, that everybody was a, a huge fan of, as you know, not to say that he's totally right in all instances, but this was a character that audiences really connected with in, uh, in Black Panther a few years ago. And certainly one of the best antagonists in, in many people's minds, the best antagonist 
in the entire MCU. So uh, certainly we're talking about a character that had tremendous potential, but spoiler alert for Black Panther, the story for this character sort of ends there. I mean, I know a lot of people. It's comic books and superheroes and superhero movies, so death never really has to be the end. Characters can always Mm -hmm. be brought back, but there was no question that audiences really loved seeing this character in that film and wanted to see more of that character, and who knows what the future may hold in live action, but in animated form, we do get more Killmonger in the form of this "What If" episode, and obviously, based on the one this, uh, based on the way this one ends, future episodes of "What If." We are going to see even more of this character after this. But what we got here, and the way we see a timely piece of information leading to this version of Killmonger having all the same goals, but with way better resources uh, that accelerates things for him, and to see what changes, to see what endures. All of that was really, really fascinating. And also just seeing how incredibly smart Killmonger was, where in this episode, he is playing chess, and I can't even credit everyone else for playing checkers. They're playing tiddlywinks uh, against Eric Killmonger. He is so far ahead of everyone else. And what really endures about this character, based on what we learned from Black Panther in 2018, we see his intelligence, we see his perspective, and that, of course, includes a problematic solution to a uh, to an otherwise correctly assessed problem. But uh, we'll get into that as we go on. But I, I really love this episode, Paul. Yeah, I like you, Sean. I love this episode. I was excited for this episode when uh, we saw, I think, a clip of this. Um, I think it was the first trailer, one of the first uh, trailers. And I thought it was very fascinating, the idea of what if Killmonger saved you know Tony Stark. Because it's so outside the box, and I'm sure we'll talk about the timeline. I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. We'll get to that later, I guess. But regardless, I, I again, I, I read the comics, you know, so I, 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 time is all over the place. So I, I don't really care that much about that. About that. Right. But regardless, this is a fantastic episode. And again, I always say, you know, the show, the show shows you what the show can do and how great it can be, and just go, go crazy. And I, I loved Killmonger, you know, uh, Michael B. Jordan was phenomenal. I love the guy and, you know, he's just a phenomenal talent. His Killmonger was, you know, again, one of the best MCU villains ever and seeing him, you know, and I knew I, again, I always forget like to check the beginning of, you know, who's voicing what. And I was so happy to see that he was coming back the voice of character cause it, it's there, man. Like it, there's no, to me, you always worry about a little bit, Sean, I think with, with, uh, when you do these animation, uh, animated shows and whatnot, like, especially with, with Killmonger, because you don't know if they're going to exactly be in the the right characterization. Cause always, you know, there's always a little bit of fear of that when you, because it is a different reality, you kind of take, you know, a little bit of liberties sometimes with, with personality traits. And, and, and I think sometimes that can serve the story fine and it would make sense in a different reality, but Obviously, obviously, with with Killmonger, it's a lot different. There's a he is a very heavy, 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 heavy handed character. So there's you gotta handle it with kid gloves a little bit. Meaning you can't have to kind of be very careful how you write the character. And the fact that Michael B. Jordan one came back to do it means he probably thought the scripts in scripts were fine. Um, was also reassuring. But like the fact that I felt that they nailed the characterization completely just was 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 so 
it was great. I, I love seeing that. And it was so great to see Killmonger back. I, I, I got, I got to rewatch the episode this morning and I loved it even more the second time. And I think this could be maybe one of the best episodes, maybe it is the best episode. I don't know, but it's weird. Cause I always forget the one thing I have to get used to is in the comic books. It's all very one and done. Right. And in this, like you keep telling me and you're reminding me that this is this is part one, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. There's, these are different parts. Usually there's sometimes there's part twos with and things like that in the comic books, but mostly they were one and done. So it is going to be interesting. I, I almost liked to end it on kind of an ambiguous note of like how they're going to stop Killmonger and how he kind of takes over Wakanda. And that, that's just kind of that side. But regardless, I thought this was a fantastic episode and it's returned to form again. I, we didn't love the last week at last week's episode with zombies, but this one I think is just top notch. I agree. I think it's, it's definitely up there. I, I haven't really thought about where it ranks compared to other episodes. I think my previous favorite was T'Challa star Lord episode two. So how this one compares to that, I, I haven't really thought about it just yet. And I don't feel the need to make an assessment and a final judgment uh, right here and now. We'll get to the end of the series and we'll we'll figure that out. Not that that's like a regular thing we've been doing at the end of these ones. Is which one was the best episode and hashing that out. Um, but anyway, I am very much uh, I, I, I'm very happy anyway to see the the series kind of get back to the quality that we've come to expect. And I thought this one was uh, was really really great for a, a number of reasons. And, and I think that. In, in looking at the way things kind of start here, uh, they begin where things started for us in watching the MCU anyway, with the way Iron Man started in 2008 in the Kunar province in Afghanistan. And we see uh, Tony in the fun V and then things go the way that they go. And just as that missile is about to explode and put those barbs in uh, Tony's chest that will lead to him ultimately having to be saved and become Iron Man, uh, we see that he is saved just right on the spot this time uh, where we see Killmonger, as we've seen in the trailers, just pick up that missile and chuck it. I mean, you would have sworn, though, with the way he threw it, that he already had superpowers and he already had the heart-shaped yeah. herb based on the way through it. But apparently he did not because we see him take the heart-shaped herb uh, at the very uh, or towards the end of this episode. So I guess I would just call that the exaggerated action that happens in animation, which is fine because Batman in animated series has had uh, superhuman abilities for pretty much ever. Uh, so yeah. it's totally okay. Uh, I'll roll with it. Um, and then as far as uh, what we get to see here, besides, um, you know, a superhuman esque missile throw is we kind of get to see where Killmonger got that name that's sitting there on his chest plate uh, we see his military prowess, like the way he's just taking people out. And as Tony even observes, like just living up to the name right away. And then we hear from the Watcher explaining how heroes are not born. They're forged in darkness, shaped in battle, defined by sacrifice. And so in this timeline, Tony was never held captive. So this is a world without Iron Man. So though the man was saved, as the Watcher says, a hero was lost and a villain was given a new chance. And uh, while we're getting that uh, voiceover from Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher, I really love the shot of the I Am Iron Man moment from Endgame in animated form. I mean, of course, the live-action one is is the original and the best, but I just got a kick out of that. Um, but what's uh, where things start to get interesting, I mean, obviously, it's a fascinating examination of Killmonger, but also an interesting examination of Tony Stark as a character because of the way he responds to this. Like, he has mm -hmm. been attacked by the Ten Rings, but it doesn't go down the way that it did, uh, of course, as we saw in the Sacred Timeline, 
And without the wisdom of Ho Yinsen, as played by Sean Tube, Tony's response to being attacked is it's not to have Stark Industries stop making weapons. It's to have Stark Industries build bigger weapons. And, of course, uh, Killmonger has his own influence. And we do see that Tony can be pretty impressionable when someone saves him. And this time, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it was Killmonger, who is now very quickly made the chief security officer of Stark Industries, which was a job that Happy had his eye on. Remember, of course, he became forehead of security eventually in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then Christine Everhart, as voiced by Leslie Bibb, wonders how Killmonger was even there in the first place because his military unit was 400 clicks away and Killmonger was on a deep cover operation inside the Ten Rings and that was what allowed him to over uh, to uncover the plan that he saw was bankrolled by Obadiah Stane and he had the receipts to prove it. So Obadiah Stane, the whole mystery of that is solved instantly in this uh, version of events and then Happy goes ahead and knocks out Obi saying, I never liked that guy. So as far as how all this fits in because I know that that's part of the original kind of system that we had, although I don't even know if it was a system as much as the one instance and the way things were defined. You go back to the first episode of what if where the Nexus event, so to speak, was Captain Carter uh, was Peggy Carter making a choice to stay in the room rather than going up to the booth for the super soldier experiment uh, during originally the events of Captain America, the first Avenger. And so in looking at this episode, like it, we don't really see that whole thing of where one choice changes everything. Whatever choice that was, we didn't really see it. And so in the sacred timeline, uh, we there are some things that are kind of similar. Like Killmonger was a Navy SEAL who was in Afghanistan, and that could have been around the time that Tony Stark was there. I mean, Everett Ross explains as much in Black Panther, and Rhodey ends up talking about some of that same information we got from Ross, uh, Everett Ross in Black Panther. Rhodey goes over some of those details uh, in a scene later on in this episode, which is a nice continuity touch to have all of that, but Mm -hmm. something must have been different because I would think that if... I don't think the Nexus event... Not that it really matters what the Nexus event was, but I don't think the Nexus event would have been... Uh, in the sacred timeline, I don't think Killmonger had that information and then didn't act on it. I think that information is too valuable, and Killmonger is smart enough to know that that he would have acted on it in the sacred timeline. So I think whatever has changed here, it must be that this information became available to him in the first place. Like I don't think it ever was in the sacred timeline, so somehow it is here. Maybe in the sacred timeline, he didn't go on a deep cover mission with the Ten Rings. Or maybe he did, but just this information otherwise did not fall into his lap. But the end result is he got this opportunity, and I, I think it reinforces how long Killmonger wanted all of this, like everything that we saw him do in Black Panther. I mean, he told us as much how long he's been thinking about this, how long he's been wanting this. Pretty much since he saw the claw marks in his father's chest, he would have wanted that in Oakland in 1992. So what has happened here? in this episode of What If, it's not really, it's certainly not the creation of Killmonger's plan or Killmonger's goals. It is the acceleration of those things. And and there are other differences in the timeline, as some people have already noticed, like General Ross, not Everett Ross, but Thaddeus Ross, Thunderbolt Ross. He's in the Army in the Sacred Timeline. Here he's in the Air Force for whatever reason. So I, I think what that really represents to me, I mean, you could say it's a it's a continuity glitch, but I also feel like maybe it's just more of, 
these timelines are more different than there's greater differences than just one choice in one moment. That's where things start to spiral out. I think it feeds into more of how we interpreted the mechanics of the sacred timeline, Paul, where it wasn't literally mm. one timeline. It was right. a, a set of timelines that ran parallel enough to one another that there, there were some differences, but there were enough big things that, uh, you know, all the big things were still the same, that, that created the same net end result that he who remains uh, wanted. Um, but anyway, yeah. um, it's great. It, it was like the way this had some of the similarities to the original timeline, but then also seeing these key differences that allow Killmonger to uh, really, really accelerate his plan. All this stuff I thought was a great start to the episode. Yeah, you you touched on something that I did. I, maybe it's obvious to everybody else, and I'm just a big bozo and didn't realize it, but that essentially... Uh, Killmonger is the ensign, right, of for this Tony Stark, and it's interesting. Like you brought up a great point that this, you know, Tony Stark is impressionable, mm. and that would make a lot of sense. The fact that someone like him, like Jensen, a good soul, someone who's with you know good mor- morality, and would basically you know help convince Stark of what he needs to change. Um, you know, you see that that personality at the time that w- which Tony Stark is at, and at that point in his life. You know, someone like Killmonger who saves his life and is that that the blunt instrument at that point, thinking like, oh, this guy's got you know only good intentions. He's a you know he was there to save me basically, and it's very. I, I love the idea that that Tony Stark's kind of all over the place, and we and we yeah. see that played out here. Um, also, gotta say I love the fact they did not say or he didn't say the MySpace reference in, in this episode. I don't know if you noticed that when they're doing the they're talking. I'm like, are they going to do the MySpace? Yeah, and replace yeah. It? Don't put this on your MySpace page when they're posing for the picture. Yeah, yeah. I was I was waiting I was waiting for like a, a update like oh I see this on your TikTok page or I don't know whatever <laughs> you kids do these days. Um, but well, I mean, it still uh, has no. to be happening around the same time. It still has to be happening around right. 2008. So we're we're still pre TikTok. I know. I, I just I just thought it was funny. I, I was yeah. I was kind of waiting for him to say MySpace, and he didn't. I'm like, hey, very interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, there's. It was really great seeing uh, Killmongers come in and again, like take control and him manipulating everyone. And Tony, I guess that like, you really. I love how you said it. Like he's impressionable, and this version of Tony is just like he goes the opposite end because if you think about it. You know, he wants revenge. It's like, or, you know, in his mind, like, mm-hmm. you know, or you almost killed me. So I, that means I have to go even bigger and badder, you know, at that point. And of course, when you have this badass, you know, mercenary or, or soldier next to you, you get, you get, you feel even more like that needs to happen. And you, it makes sense to why he would make him chief of uh, security. Um, again, it's, at least for this version of Tony Stark, it doesn't, you know, always add up because again, you're condensing every a whole movie into 30 minutes. I mean, but again, I it, think it still it tracks up. for him because Tony is impulsive. Sure, yeah, yeah. And no, exactly, I agree. You know, yeah, yeah, and I think for, uh, you know, for the way that Tony responds to this, yeah, that, that is. Other things are already different, like the fact that Killmonger is there is, is showing, of course, the differences in the timeline. But absolutely, I mean, for Tony, he, I think it. it not that that's the point of the episode, but another effect of this episode in the storytelling mm-hmm. is uh, I, I think it shows reinforces a lot of the love that Marvel fans have, MCU fans have for the character of Jensen, because this is a character mm-hmm. who was so important for Tony Stark, not just literally saving Tony's life, but even saving Tony's soul to an extent um, yeah. and, and putting him on 
that different path. And and of course, he's already on a little bit of a different path here as well, but it's just, it, it's obviously not the same because Yinsen and Killmonger as the two people in these respective timelines being the most, uh, having the most influence over Tony at these critical moments, obviously Yinsen has a different philosophy than and different goals uh, than of course uh, Killmonger did. But yeah, I, I thought all of that was was a really interesting start to this episode. And then uh, because of Obadiah Stane being outed as the one behind this plot to assassinate Tony Stark, then we see that uh, there is an opening now for the position of chief operating officer. So Killmonger, who just became the chief security officer, gets a promotion right away to chief operating <laughs> officer because, again, Tony Stark is impressionable and impulsive. And um, Pepper, though, as voiced by Beth Hoyt in this, who does a really good job of sounding like Gwyneth Paltrow, but also kind of yeah, giving sure. her own performance. I thought she was really good in this. And so anyway, Pepper is skeptical. She's had Rhodey check up, uh, check up on Killmonger, and he goes through some of the qualifications and experiences that Everett Ross listed in, in Black Panther. And then Rhodes says, you know, that he's just just the way he sees it, he's done pretty good for a kid from Oakland, which is true for Killmonger. Um, but also, because he is, of course, very accomplished at this young stage of his life. But at the same time, uh, Pepper is skeptical because so far she can't identify the ulterior motive for Killmonger. She just believes everybody wants something so if Killmonger is acting like he wants nothing, um, maybe something is up with that. And she's, of course, not totally wrong there. Um, then we're in the garage and uh, slash basement uh, that uh, Tony has at his house. And Killmonger ends up quoting Howard Stark saying, peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy, which Tony sort of boxed at because he just says a lot of good that did dear old dad. But I thought it was interesting to see Tony kind of balk at that line because if a lot of things are similar in this timeline... Tony should have just said that to Christine Everhart right before his trip to Afghanistan, um, before his mind would be changed about anything. Um, so it should have been before that, or was it? Or I'll just, you know, stop being a continuity nerd and shut up about that one. Uh, but anyway, uh, Killmonger shares that because uh, Tony Stark asks uh, what's, uh, what happened with Killmonger's father. Killmonger says that his dad died too. It was gang violence. So Tony wishes that no one ever had to use weapons. And that is a little bit of uh, perspective there from Tony that we were familiar with in the sacred timeline. It doesn't happen all the same way, but that whole idea of not wanting weapons at all, although, I mean, Tony goes on to build many, many, many weapons in the sacred timeline after that. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we see uh, a little bit of that desire from Tony for things to maybe be a little bit different uh, in the world. And so I, I, I did like seeing him kind of go, uh, not necessarily loving that whole idea of, of peace being achieved by having uh, a bigger stick than the other guy. But still, Tony's willing to go along with the whole bigger stick idea, because when Killmonger says that he's got an idea for armored drones with his whole Project Liberator thing that looks like anime, as he points out, because he's a fan of anime. And so we have Gundam models, as Tony was joking about uh, in this episode. Um, but that initial back and forth, I thought was good. And it was a great way to give Tony the illusion of common ground with Killmonger, the whole bonding thing of we lost our dads. And of course, Killmonger omits the full truth, just saying he lost his dad to gang violence, which we know is not true. And we know that Killmonger knows that's not true. But giving Tony Stark the illusion of the common ground that sure, they have some things in common, but also there's a lot that Tony isn't seeing. There are big differences, certainly the resources between the two of them. 
of course, the age, right? Tony was 21 when he lost his father or somewhere around their early 20s. Eric Killmonger was still a child. Between wealth, between race, there are resources, there is privilege that Tony Stark had that uh, that Eric Stevens uh, absolutely did not have. Um, but I, I think Killmonger is happy enough because it's all part of the plan to keep Tony focused on what they have in common as opposed to uh, as, as opposed to the differences. Yeah, this was good stuff. I felt um, again two very radically different characters that you know never thought you'd see interacting. When uh, at least for me, when I saw Black Panther and loving the character, I never thought Iron Man and Killmonger would have a scene together like this, eating pizza and you know um, making drones. Uh, but but yeah, no, this was good stuff because again, reinforcing what is driving the characters, right? Uh, mainly Killmonger, but also the fact that he's using, you know, even his dad's death to manipulate Tony, probably knowing that Tony's dad is, you know, right. his relationship. I mean, I'm sure he studied up on it in some Absolutely. way. Absolutely. It's not hard because yeah, he's a Killmonger's clearly done his homework for all of this, so he knows. It, yeah, exactly. So he's using that, you know, against Tony, and it's just really interesting. Um, again, hearing, I gotta say, hearing Michael B. Jordan voice this stuff, dude, is just so good like mm-hmm. i'm just like man like, it, it just maybe i'm just sitting there you know watching this episode loving it and hearing you know and hearing killmonger again it's like right ah, man it's it's oh, it's so good but it also hearing- really made me wish though and no disrespect to mick winger who's doing a very good job as tony stark in this episode of course but i couldn't help but wish that it was robert downey jr that michael b jordan was going up against oh. although I mean, I guess it wouldn't really matter because when they record these things, they do it separately. And so they're not really sharing right. scenes anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I did love this whole thing of Eric Killmonger and, and Tony Stark having these conversations with each other. Right. And um, made me wish that there had been, you know, in some timeline other than the one we all live in, there is one where Robert Downey Jr. and Michael B. Jordan are, are sharing scenes together in the MCU, oh, yeah. uh, which you mm-hmm. you know would be amazing. But it's, it's pretty great with what we're getting here and what if. Yeah. And, and seeing, and again, the reason why I love it so much is you, because he's such a phenomenal talent, these scenes are so important of establishing, again, the, the you know, th- these characters and uh, of kind of seeing why people are going along with them. And he just sells it, man. It's just like, and, and, and again, even though we know he's lying and he's not, or he's not telling the whole truth, again, there's always truth in what he's saying to an extent. Right. And it's just, it's just yeah it's just seeing that that manipulative side of killmonger and the fact but he's also again like there is there is something relatable to him and tony you know even more than we realize i guess <laughs> right right because right of winter soldier so i mean yeah it, it's very interesting um i i just love i love seeing them on screen together and these two characters regardless of you know the, the voice actors and you're right the guy who does and you said his name and again i don't yeah, know mick winger ever Mick Winger, he does a great Tony, man. I got to say, he does a great job. He does, and I think he does uh, a great job of sounding enough like Robert Downey Jr. without doing an impersonation. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. that is, uh, that's a difficult balance. But uh, so far, I mean, I think across the board, the actors who have you know stepped in, the voice actors who've stepped in for the live-action actors who've not been a part of What If, uh, they've done a really good job, and I've been very happy with that so far uh, in this series. I also, of course, like the name, uh, which, you know, Tony makes a joke about it, but, you know, saying that Killmonger has an ear for branding, but the name of his yes. drone project, Liberator, um, because we know that that's what Killmonger 
says and, and likes to believe that his mission is liberating the oppressed from their oppressors. And when you, we talk about the things that, you know, that audiences connect with with Killmonger, that's an idea that people connect with. Because that, of course, sounds like something that is completely valid and people understand the people understand that feeling. They understand that sentiment. And I think that's where the the Killmonger was right uh, sort of phrase and arguments came from Black Panther in 2018. And I was uh, I was fortunate enough to see Black Panther live in concert at the Hollywood Bowl last weekend and Killmonger was getting cheers when he showed up on screen uh, in that so film. Crazy. Which, but I understand, and I don't think when people cheer for him that they're saying everything he says and does is right. But Absolutely. enough of what he mm -hmm. enough of what he says and does um, is correct, and enough of what the he says and does is relatable or touches on ideas and, and feelings that that people really uh, connect with. And I think that's what he's and, and so to see him just give that name of liberator and how he views himself, how he views his mission. Does that mean he's a hundred percent true to those ideas? I don't really think so. And that will, we'll talk about that as we go on uh, with this, but uh, I couldn't help, but see the, uh, you know, but, but catch on to that name for, you know, different reasons than just the cool branding sound of it as, uh, as Tony, right. for what Tony liked it for anyway. Yeah. Oh, and I also like the fact they called out the whole anime thing. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. anime. <laughs> well, and it's, there's a meta component to it as well. Like I, 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 it's not that I doubt that in universe that Killmonger would be a fan of, of anime at all. But at the same time, like, I, I think that part is, is true for the character. I don't, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, they're breaking anything there, but course, also yeah. This being the first Marvel Studios animated project and this being a way for them to get some Gundam style drones into this and, and have and, and have something that kind of pays homage to anime within this. I liked that. Mm. And, and I, yeah, so I do point. think there's a, a part of that that is kind of very intentional as, you know, Marvel sort of acknowledging what is, you know, one of the, the biggest genres, if not the biggest genre in all of uh, in, in all of animation. So that part, I, I really liked it for a number of reasons, but I also liked how when they started doing the tests on the Liberator, that it went exactly as well as Tony's initial Iron Man tests uh, from the first Iron Man. Oh, um, so great! And even the whole thing, like, oh, as long as it doesn't explode or whatever, then the head pops off, and Tony's like, okay, that changes things. Um, that was great. We also hear Jarvis uh, a little bit in the background, so a little bit of Paul Bettany, and Tony uh, is as they're just throwing around ideas. Tony uh, throws around the idea of uh, miniaturizing an arc reactor and then writes it off as a dumb idea. Uh, and then Killmonger shows his ring saying that there's more vibranium out there because Killmonger was pitching vibranium as a renewable energy resource for the drones. But uh, Tony was saying there's not uh, enough to go around, but uh, Killmonger revealing the ring shows that that is indeed uh, still out there. So they're going to make a deal with claw and we know that Tony has a connection to Claw from Avengers Age of Ultron. And uh, there's really masterful strategizing from Killmonger with this whole setup that he leads yeah. Tony right into it. And this is where I say when Killmonger is playing chess and everybody else is playing tiddlywinks, he's doing a really good job of making people think that they have their own ideas as he's leading Tony right into it of, oh, you need some sort of diplomatic cover. And then it dawns on Tony, even though this is what Killmonger is already thinking, to send Rhodey to do the meetup with Claw to uh, to basically be a military liaison. That that's what this is all about. It's not Stark Industries. It's the U.S. military that is having a meeting with Claw about acquiring 
vibranium, but all of that still ties things to Tony Stark, not Eric Killmonger, as far as a paper trail, as Tony complains about later. And then the way Killmonger is playing both sides, as we find out uh, after the scene that that uh, it was Killmonger who set up Claw to tip off the Wakandan war dogs that would bring Black Panther to this scene, this meetup, as Rhodey is trying to acquire vibranium from Claw. And then we see that uh, Rhodey ends up firing a Black Panther to no avail because, of course, the bulletproof you know vibranium suit that Black Panther wears. And then Black Panther is ready to spare Rhodey because he says he doesn't have any quarrel with the colonel. He just wants the vibranium to go back where it belongs. But then Killmonger takes them both out. Uh, he takes T'Challa out long before T'Challa would ever become king because, remember, we're still talking a roughly 2008 MCU and uh, when Black Panther had said that, uh, uh, of course, that he was going to take the vibranium back to where it belonged, Killmonger says, sorry, cuz, that ain't going to fly, acknowledging that cousin familial relationship mm -hmm. between the two of them. And Killmonger helps himself to a whole stash of vibranium with Claw's help, including a Dora Milaje spear. And lots of things to love about this scene. So awesome seeing Black Panther in action in this. Ugh. And the score that combines what we know from Ludwig Göransson from the Oscar-winning score of Black Panther and what Laura Cartman is doing with this uh, episode as it's been all series has just been so great. And there's a great sequence there of, of Black Panther dodging bullets and then a slow-mo punch to one of Claw's henchmen that I thought was really awesome. And then uh, Killmonger saying to T'Challa right before he kills him, I really wish it didn't have to go down like this. And I think it's interesting to examine why Killmonger would say that, why he's saying, I really wish it didn't have to go down like this, because it almost sounds compassionate, as if he didn't want to have mm. to kill T'Challa. But I don't think that's what Killmonger means when he says, I wish it didn't have to go down like this, because we already know that Killmonger wanted to kill T'Challa. And so far, nothing in this timeline is any different for Killmonger in terms of what he wants. How he's able to get it is different in this timeline, but what he wants isn't really changing here. And so when he says he doesn't want it to go down like this, I think the like this part means that he doesn't want it to go down like this with no one around to see it, with no one around to see or allowed to know, at least not yet, that it's Killmonger who beat his cousin T'Challa. Because in the sacred timeline, Killmonger, it wasn't the big audience that it wasn't as big of an audience as normally shows up at Warrior Falls when there is a challenge for the mantles of King and or Black Panther. But there was still an audience and it was an audience of people who were, of course, amongst those who were part of the royal palace and, and, and part of that collective at uh, within Wakanda. And of course, in front of T'Challa's family, which is also part of Killmonger's family. So I, I think that, you know, with Killmonger, there was a lot of pride in that. that he, and when he's saying that he wished it didn't, it didn't uh, he didn't want it to go down like this, I think it really is him saying that he wishes that he could do the same here. He wishes he could do the same here that he doesn't know he did in the sacred timeline. Um, but he can't pass up this opportunity. So he is willing to sacrifice that little piece of prideful glory to beat T'Challa in front of everyone, or at least a lot of people who matter. Uh, he's willing to sacrifice that in order to get something that he wants even more, which is the power that, of course, he is he is after. Um, then we get a, a big, but albeit brief, back and forth between Killmonger and Rhodey, and Killmonger wants to know uh, why Rhodey would wear the uniform of his oppressors, 
and you know fight for them, die for them. And Rhodey says, "Kid, you got to be part of the system to change the system." And Killmonger says, "Nah, you burn it down." And that's a heavy, heavy moment and, and a philosophical Ooh. question that was examined in Black Panther, but it's applied very differently here. It's a completely different perspective. It just hits differently with Rhodey because T'Challa was a ruler. He was king in Wakanda. And so he had the power to change a system, and he ultimately mm -hmm. did at the end of that film. Rhodey doesn't have that power. He's a player within the system. He's a player in the game, not a rule maker. And so to have for Rhodey to have that perspective of being in the system to change it versus Killmonger, the burn it down approach, that conversation happening between those two characters, I only wish it could have gone on a lot longer and they could have had that debate. Yes. But truth be told, Killmonger wasn't interested in having the debate. He said what he had to mm -hmm. say and then he finished off Rhodey. Man, this whole part is just, it might be... Ah, it's so good. I, I will say one of my favorites in the episode. I don't know. There's lots of great little moments. They pack so much in this in these 30 minutes, man. It's crazy. Um, I love this scene because, oh, everything you said, but Andy Serkis coming back to voice Claw. Mm -hmm. And, like, just, just put it in perspective. Uh, Andy Serkis was, I'm assuming, directing and finishing up, you know, Let There Be Carnage, Venom, which uh, we can't wait to talk about on the show in the few weeks here, Sean, but, uh, Andy circus is, you know, middle of doing directing and probably a million other things and still finds time to, and granted it's not like a super long episode or small lines, but the fact he went out of his way to do it, like that says a lot, like it shows that, you know, he really is, you know, into having fun and, and, and enjoys the character. And, uh, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Like you, you tell it meant, it meant so much to him to at least that like he wanted to go come back and, 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 you know, be part of that character still. I thought that was really great. And he's fantastic. It makes me just want to be like, can we bring Claw back too? I love Claw. Uh, you know, I mean, I love Claw in the comics too. I, I want to see, you know, comic accurate Claw. But that's just me. But regardless, I love this version of Claw as well. And he's hilarious. I, I mean, like, I love the, all his lines and all the interactions he has. And, oh, man. See, it, the I think we talked about I think the Black Panther show you know when it came out but the the chemistry between Killmonger and Claw is so good <laughs> it's like perfect I don't know I love it um yeah I, I I love this stuff and when when they were talking Sean about you know Rhodey and Killmonger and he says Nah you gotta burn it down I'm like damn like like Bailey Jordan just bringing it you know I mean you feel it. You feel like, you know, how convicted he is. Like, no, like, you're wrong. Like, you, like, he's just, the fact, again, it's different. Like you said, Sean, Team Kachala is, is he could make those changes. Mm -hmm. Rhodey is just, you know, at this point in where he's at, he's just, you know, he's not another cog, but he's just, you know, he's a part of the system, but he's not, you know, a ruler. He's not going to make, he can only be one voice inside right. of it. And I love the fact that, like, you kind of you kind of see both sides. I mean, I don't agree with you know what Killmonger you know decides, but I mean, it's it's hard. You know, it's sometimes you need to like burn things. You know, start over from scratch, whatever. But obviously, mm -hmm. that's a that's very much uh, extreme. Um, but just seeing those two talk about it, like you're right, like two great actors going at it, and like two great characters going at it. I just right. ah, you want more. Well, again, they jam so much you, in 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, and also how you go about burning it down. Like, you can dismantle True. a system without, like, literally burning it down and, and killing people, as is Killmonger's True. plan. So, 
there are ways to uh, to change the system drastically. But anyway, that that's a whole other conversation to get into. And I I honestly sure. would have loved to have seen Killmonger and Rhodey have mm-hmm. that whole conversation. I mean, we just kind of get the two somewhat oversimplified versions of it, but the sentiment is real and the perspective is there in that, in those different, the differences in philosophy of changing from within versus burning things down and starting over. Although I still think even with Killmonger, whatever nobility he has in wanting to try and burn things down, you know, just break up a flawed system and start over. There are flaws within his approach as T'Challa gets a chance to point out later on in the episode, even though Killmonger has, uh, has killed him because death is not the end uh, in Wakanda. So, um, a very heavy uh, emotional moment with those characters, but an even heavier emotional moment is when we see the aftermath of this sequence and we see both T'Challa and Rhodey being brought home in coffins. And it was impossible for me, and I, I think for many of you listening, impossible for me to just not feel the real-world loss of Chadwick Boseman with that visual. It was striking, and yeah. then just seeing his family looking at the coffin... It was devastating. And yes, it's, of course, very, very sad for, for Rhodey, too. But the real-world parallels aren't there for Rhodey, as, as they obviously are for T'Challa. There could have been the temptation to remove this scene, thinking that maybe the real-world parallels with Chadwick Boseman's passing mm-hmm. were just too much, and thinking that they could just go ahead and, and jump right from the deaths of these characters at the hands of Killmonger to the aftermath of the you know the declaration of war effectively between the U.S. and Wakanda, they could have gone with that, and I, I think I would have respected that choice. But I do, as emotional as it was, I think that's also part of the reason why you want to keep it is you want to feel that loss, and and I think and it's not as a way to exploit the loss of Chadwick Boseman. This is a creative decision that would have would have already been a part of the episode. Before, uh, before anything, before of course, what tragically happened last year. So I don't think it's something they added for that. This was already part of the storytelling. It takes a long time to develop mm-hmm. these types of episodes and ultimately make them for us to see them as an audience. So I, I don't think it was done as a means to exploit. But at the same time, I'm glad that they didn't shy away from this either. That this was a part of the storytelling of the episode, and they let it remain in this story. And we felt the impact of it because, of course, we would have felt it anyway because of just what happens in this episode. But, of course, we feel it on another level as well. And uh, as a viewer, it was difficult. But at the same time, it's another opportunity for us to go through that that process of, of mourning the loss of this incredible hero. And I'm talking about the fictional one and the one in, that we were fortunate enough to share some time with in this world and in real life as well. Yeah, that was uh, rewatching that episode again to this this morning, Sean. I, when I saw that scene, I went, "Oh, damn! Wait a minute! Oh, hey!" It just kind of hit home a little more than I the first time. For, you know, I guess I don't know why I, I was thinking the the first time I watched it, but the second time it hit more. And I kind of I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, they left that in. I, I did think, you know, there is there is an idea of not doing that, and I I respect, you know understand both ways of thinking but but yeah that was a rough moment and seeing the chala and chadwick uh, chadwick boseman's performances in these episodes was just it's, it's been a real treat um regardless mm-hmm. um so i i 
again, to, but to me, I think it, it served, especially when we get him later on, obviously, right? Like right. That's, that's still important. So I feel like, yeah, you, you, if you take that away, you kind of lose on another big part of the story. So I kind of, I understand why they left it into. So I don't know. I, but yeah, it, that was still a real gut punch, but you know, it's, but at the same time, yeah, it, it, it was already there and, and, but yeah, I, I it was just a bummer, another bummer. As, as this series has been bittersweet in general, when you have great moments with with T'Challa and, and Chadwick Boseman's characters, uh, and voicing the character, that sense of loss that I think a lot of people have felt over the past year, I think what has been a blessing is that we have had this this opportunity because of how long ago, how long it takes these shows to be made, that all of this work already had to have been done on the episode so that we are treated to these performances and, and we get to see and, and hear just a, a little bit more of why this character as portrayed by Chadwick Boseman, why it was so, uh, why it was so special and, and why the audience uh, all around the world responded to it in the way that they did. And, and of course, why it, it's so sad um, among the many reasons why it's so sad for, uh, for Chadwick Boseman to, to be gone and I couldn't help as I was watching that to not only feel the real world parallels, but also just start thinking ahead to Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which will also be dealing with the loss of Chadwick Boseman with the loss of T'Challa in some fashion. We don't know exactly how they're going to go about it, but certainly I think the mourning of that loss is going to be part of the storytelling and there will be the the real world parallels that are completely uh, impossible to avoid. And I'm glad that this episode didn't really try to do that. Um, it's something that, you know, it is just part of the process. And I thought they handled it very well in uh, in their version of it within this episode of What If. And the next uh, sequence that we see, of course, is Tony Stark starting to understand what's happened. And I only say starting because even though Tony Stark knows what Killmonger's motivations were, there's still a part of this that, that Tony Stark is blind to, as, as Killmonger is going to point out to him. But Killmonger is ready to just capitalize on what he's just done and keep stoking the flames and keep instigating. And he wants to do that without killing Tony Stark. But Tony's got evidence. And when Killmonger is saying, well, you could call the police, but they won't make it here before uh, basically implying they're not going to make it there in time to save Tony Stark. But he doesn't want the law. Tony wants justice. So he's got a Liberator drone there, but it's no match for Killmonger. And then Killmonger turns his attention to Tony, gets him with a vibranium spear, and then Killmonger reveals, of course, the meaning behind his scars. Each one is for a kill. Believe it or not, Tony, I was really hoping you wouldn't make the cut. And then Tony mm. says, for a minute, I really thought it was you and me against the world. Killmonger responds, we're not fighting the same battles, Tony. Mm. And then Tony goes for that common ground that Killmonger allowed him to buy into. Two gearhead orphans trying to do right by our fathers. We sound the same to me. And then Killmonger wins the argument. The difference between you and me is that you can't see the difference between you and me. A very Oof. powerful conversation. And uh, I think what's interesting uh, about this is the the opposing perspectives that really have an opportunity to work in conjunction with one another, even though it may not necessarily seem that way. There's a part of what Tony is saying that is very, very correct and, and well-meaning in that 
it is important to see what connects us. It is important to see what we have in common and the things that bond uh, that bond us to each other as human beings. All of that is very, very great and very, very wonderful and very, very positive. But there are still differences between us and our and differences in our experiences that we should be aware of. And that's not to say that we should be aware of those differences as a basis of judgment, but instead of empathy. And that is the part that Tony was was blind to and that there's a lot of struggle that he would have had emotionally that he can relate to with Killmonger, but there's also plenty more to Killmonger's struggle that Tony has no idea of. And had he seen that, maybe he would have been able to connect with Killmonger in a way that's also that's not just about saying we're all the same, but we are different and here's why. And this is where Tony can have compassion for somebody like Killmonger. But regardless of that, none of it justifies putting Tony to death, and Killmonger knows that. And he even said he didn't want to kill Tony. And I genuinely believe that. I, I, I don't think that when Killmonger is saying that he was hoping Tony wouldn't make the cut, literally, of being one of those scars, I think that part was true. And which is why I also think that the differences between Killmonger and Tony, yes, there are a lot of things that are different about who they are and their experiences. And I think another one of those differences, though, is Killmonger's ruthlessness. There is nothing and no one that he won't sacrifice in pursuit of his goals. Uh, another example of that that we saw in the Sacred Timeline is, of course, what happened when uh, Claw took, uh, took Killmonger's girlfriend or lover hostage, where she says, I'm sorry, and you know, Claw's threatening to end their Bonnie and Clyde routine. But Killmonger's the one who ends it. He just kills her right there on the spot in cold blood without hesitation. And that's where you see with with uh, Eric Killmonger that he has such conviction, and I, know, I don't say that in a way that says it's admirable, but he's so convinced that he's right and, and what he's doing is right that nothing else can ever be more important than that and no one else can ever be more important than that. So even though he kind of likes Tony and he does feel some sort of kinship with Tony, none of that's going to be enough to save Tony if Tony is standing in the way of Eric Killmonger and, and what he wants. So that's another difference between the two of them is there's no price that Eric Killmonger isn't willing to pay because he's already used to having to sacrifice everything. Yeah, this this stuff was so good to see uh, Killmonger and just you know unveiling all his plans and kind of just hit what his grand ideas are which we all knew you know, we saw coming, but again, seeing it un unfold in a different way. And and again, Sean, you said it best, like those lines about the difference between me and you is the fact you can't see the difference between me and you. It's so good. And again, brilliantly, you know, delivered by Michael B. Jordan and just feel, you just feel it, man. Ah, Killmonger. As I'm watching this, I keep saying it. As I watch this episode, I'm just like, I need more Killmonger. I need more like he's just oh, he's such a such an engaging villain. You know, uh, it's it's ridiculous. And seeing him on this, you know, and, 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 and tormenting the heroes in a different way is is, is crazy. And I think like I just loved the, the the fight scene. You know, I love the idea of, uh, you know, Tony can't fight himself. And, and he, right. yeah, he feels because of his technology, he can overcome this 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 warrior you know soldier and i just love that it shows you how just good of a fighter he is and how tenacious he he is and tony again tony is nothing without his you know technology and 
very interesting. You know, it, it, going back to that line in Avengers, right? You know, you know, take it all away. Who are you? You know, yeah. You know, billionaire playboy. You know, yeah. What's well, the arrogance it, of Tony Stark, right? That right. He thought, yeah, we built this thing, so, and we built it to be the best fighter in the world. So this thing will protect me. This thing I built, although maybe take into account the fact that you know the original design was by Eric Killmonger, so he might mm-hmm. understand this better than you. Even though you might mm-hmm. be the one who is uh, has the ability with AI to make it work, I don't think Tony should have felt as safe as he did in that plan. But yeah, that's where Tony being arrogant got the better of him. And also at, at the same time, I mean, I think you you spoke to Tony Stark's fighting ability or lack thereof. He did have some hand to hand combat skills during the Infinity Saga, but that was after he became Iron Man. Like mm-hmm. that, we saw him kind of working with his little dummy thing that he had in uh in like the in his basement in iron man 3 like we saw that he was learning and teaching himself and whatever more well and we also i'm working with happy right in uh their boxing slash mma dirty boxing whatever in iron man 2 like we saw tony working on those things but he never really had the motivation to develop those skills so he was relying entirely on something that technically wasn't even his own design and it uh it did not go well for him which leads me to my one nitpick of this episode, but it's not this episode by itself. It is the collection of these episodes so far. How many times do we have to watch Tony Stark die? Like it's been, Mm. we've seen six episodes of what if we've watched him die three times. We saw him die. He was killed by Hank Pym in episode three. He was killed by zombies in episode five, uh, and now he's been killed by Killmonger. And also, we saw the zombie version of Tony Stark die in the zombie episode. So he died twice in that one. So that's really four times, although if you say the zombie one doesn't count as a whole death, then let's say three and a half, because the zombie version was undead. So we've seen Tony Stark die quite a lot. And it's not so much like I hate seeing Tony Stark die, although I I wouldn't say uh, that I enjoy it, but... There is a tendency in these episodes, I found, that in order to get these characters to the forefront, characters who were not at the forefront during the Infinity Saga, there seems to be... There's too much of a a crutch that's being used as far as we have to kill characters in order to move them out of the way. The characters that were at the forefront of the Infinity Saga, we have to not just find some other way to shuffle them off to the side. We just have to kill them and remove them from the board completely in order for someone else to shine, which is not really the point of this episode. So as I'm saying, why that's why I'm saying it's not a criticism of this episode specifically, but I do hope as things go on in this series, that's the favorite word of episode five, hope. Uh, I do hope that as things progress, that maybe we find, we see other ways of characters uh, being at the center of the story who maybe weren't in the sacred timeline as we saw these events unfold. So it's it's not a huge deal or anything. It's just so far kind of a, an overused device or, or method of getting uh, getting some of these characters out of the way is to just kill them. That's a really good point. I I think for, at least for uh, these episodes and, and everything, I, I kind of understand a little bit, but you're right. Like Tony has been getting the short end of the stick of death to like move. Now granted, he's like, the you know, a lot of MCU haters, especially the Spider-Man ones, uh, will say, oh, it's Tony Stark, you know, whatever, you know, they don't, they don't like Tony Stark. He's too, he's too, you know, 
popular or not popular, but um, to uh, his hands and everything. And I think maybe that's, you know, you're seeing a little bit of that in these episodes, like, you know, to move the needle, to move the shift things from the infinity saga, you have to t- take him off the table completely. You have to, you know, take him off completely. I understand that criticism. Um, I think you're right. It is. We would nice to see Tony not have to be, you know, again, like the black Pan- or the, the Chala star Lord episode, mm-hmm. right? He's not involved in that. So he doesn't have to die as, as, as far as we know. And in the uh, episode, I'm assuming with Peggy Carter, hopefully she doesn't, he doesn't die in that one either, but you're right. Like they don't need to <laughs> yeah. kill him off all these different times to, to move the, the change, the status quo. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I will say that. though, like in this, and that's why I, I, I will reduce that complaint to just purely a nitpick and more about the series than this individual episode. Cause in this episode, I wouldn't say that he needs to die, but it is justified within the story that of course the betrayal of Killmonger or betrayal of Tony Stark by Killmonger. It makes sense within the story. And obviously Tony wouldn't just take what Killmonger is doing and not object to it, not try and do something about it. So that's of course going to lead to Killmonger getting Tony Stark out of the way. So it does make sense in this episode. I don't really know it would have been avoidable, but I don't know if it would have been the right move in the story. Like Tony Stark's death, it works in this story. So I'm not criticizing it for uh, from that perspective right. anyway. And then we, uh, in the aftermath of this, we find out that Killmonger has wiped Jarvis's memory clean. Pepper doesn't buy it. And if I'm being honest, neither do I. So there is a criticism specific to this episode that uh, even though Tony is arrogant... I don't think he wouldn't he would go into this without a backup plan for Jarvis being able to get that information out in the event that Tony that things didn't go well in Tony's confrontation with Killmonger. So, uh, yes, he's arrogant and he wanted to take Killmonger out instead of having him arrested. But Tony does plan ahead and maybe he developed more of those skills after becoming Iron Man in the sacred timeline. But I still think this one would plan ahead enough to uh, do a better job of uh, making sure Killmonger couldn't just wipe Jarvis clean. But anyway, I digress. Um, yes. Meanwhile, the Dora Milaje spear is the key uh, piece of evidence here. That's enough to get Ross to think this is more of uh, things escalating with Wakanda. So now Ross is going to force Stark Industries to put the Liberator drones into production so that they can attack Wakanda. And Killmonger then has Claw take him to Wakanda. And Killmonger says is at the as he's at the edge of Wakanda... Wakanda, I found it, Dad. And I have to give credit to, of course, Michael B. Jordan, whose vocal performance is every bit as good as his live-action performance, although we just get to see more than, we do more than just hear the voice. But I, I have to give credit to the animators here in this moment where there is a genuine sadness for Killmonger in that, and it, it reads on his face. So it's not just the vocal performance of Michael B. Jordan, so that's why I credit the animators on this where you can really see it and there's almost a, a, a tender sense of accomplishment there that feels uh, a little more pure than than maybe the quest for power that Killmonger is on, that there's him just being able to make it to Wakanda and make good on the promise or, or be right there at the border of Wakanda and being right there to make it to this place that his dad always told him about that was only a dream for young Eric Stevens just Killmonger taking a moment to allow that to register that uh, I thought was a really great touch that you could have totally skipped in this episode, but the fact that they didn't and they gave it that moment made it all the more special. 
Um, but then it turns from the you know tenderness of Eric Killmonger to time to kill Claw, just like he did in the Sacred Timeline. Um, mm-hmm. And he uses that body, and as he did in the Sacred Timeline, uh, the body of Claw, as well as that glowing lower lip tattoo to gain access to the royal palace in Wakanda. And um, I, I thought, as far as all of this stuff goes, um, you know, with with Eric Killmonger being... Well, I wouldn't say trusted, but, you know, admitted into the Royal Palace in Wakanda. I mean, a lot of that makes sense because it, it went down the way it did in the Sacred Timeline. There is some of this stuff that's a little flimsy for me, like Wakanda having almost no awareness and, and nobody really pointing out how close Killmonger has been to Tony Stark. So if this is a conflict that is involving Stark Industries, like nobody's bringing up the fact that Killmonger was just on TV being all buddy-buddy with Tony Stark. Um, and nobody just happened to notice that Killmonger landed not that far from Wakanda with an entire army of these drones that they're about to fight, um, and Killmonger always being present in public with either Tony Stark or members of the U.S. military. There's a lot of this stuff that just isn't being questioned, that isn't being questioned, and I think that for Wakanda, you know, their own intelligence community with the War Dogs, I think they're better than, uh, they're better at their jobs than you would be led to believe based on this, but one of those things that you just have to roll with is they're trying to condense this story into 30 minutes mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm happy to do it. And they do, they do cover it a little bit, right? Like Shuri and Ramonda are at least skeptical. Yeah. And I think the point that they do a good job of in selling this as far as, you know, yes, there are questions that people probably should be asking. Logically, they would be asking about Killmonger in this instance. But what the episode does do well is it shows the overriding motivation in this is T'Chaka's guilt. Here is this kid he Mm. left behind after killing his brother, this kid's father. Here is this kid at T'Chaka's doorstep and he has to be trusting of this, of Killmonger because he feels he owes him that. He owes this child that. The child that he left behind who still somehow made it to Wakanda. There is the guilt of course. I mean, as he even says, like I see your, he sees his father's eyes. He sees his own brother's eyes in the eyes of, of Eric. So yeah, guilt being the driving factor to maybe override some of the logic or skepticism that T'Chaka should have that part. I will buy. Um, and Killmonger also has a strategy to defeat this drone army to let them through the shields of Wakanda, cut off the signal, leaving those drones helpless. And then they take them out and the U S will be all out of uh, vibranium. And then Ramonda ultimately ends up going along with it and buying into it. But I also really like that T'Chaka referred to her as general, uh, which shows a military mm. rank for Ramonda that we didn't really get uh, in Black Panther. So there's some flimsiness to it, but when you use emotion as the ro- as the overriding factor um, that maybe defeats logic, that happens. That happens in our world too. So I'll buy it here. The, this whole part um, it, it hit a lot more for me the second time. Mainly the action. Um, I really love seeing the 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 door the Dora Milaje mm-hmm. going at it and seeing um, again. Forgive me, I'm really bad with names. Uh, Black Panther's mom uh, go and just completely destroy oh, uh, so yeah. many liberators. That was fantastic. Yeah, um, the battle sequence was great. I mean, a co- yeah. there's a great just mm-hmm. going to just purely the animation. And Marvel's yes. actually, they put it out in, I think, in, like, GIF form on their social this weekend, and I'm, I'm glad they did, not that, like, the world needed another GIF, but they highlighted oh, this does. sequence specifically. There's a great sequence of Okoye taking out 
several of those Liberator drones that as I was watching it, I was like, oh, damn, that's great. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just visually, mm-hmm. that was uh, really, really striking. Um, and, I, and I loved it. So, yeah, the, the battle sequence animation was outstanding. Yeah, I, I got us. And again, I've said it last week or, you know, or at least I'm not sure if I remember I said it last week, Sean or not. Like last week we were pretty negative. Uh, the week before about the um, What If series, I really think the, the animations are really starting to, like, get better every episode. And this, the action seemed even more fluid mm-hmm. in this episode. When you compare this and I think the Peggy Carter episode, Captain Carter, it, again, like, I love Captain Carter. It, but this seems way more fluid. And, and maybe that was purposeful. Again, I, I go back to the Fleischer idea of that episode, maybe influencing it. I don't know. Regardless, uh, this episode's action animation it was fantastic. And it really is starting to see the show come into its own animated wise. Um, and I I just, I love it. I love this battle scene. That was great. Uh, it just, it just is feeling, it's really starting to be distinct on its own. And I like that. Again, I go back to Clone Wars as, you know, and, and, and how much I love the Bad Batch and the animation for that. And a lot of people did not gravitate towards that animation, but over time people did. And I think this is not the exact same thing as far as that goes, but similar in a way where I feel that as these episodes are getting, you know, going forward, their animations is getting more fluid. They're getting, they're more confident. They're more, they know their, their limitations and their strengths. And we're seeing that. And I just, I loved it. And it's, it was a great sequence to see because we haven't really seen vibranium spears take on like drones like this. Right. I mean, right. it was kind of cool to see them like in a different light that we haven't seen in the sacred timeline yet. So that was great. Again, I love seeing black Panther's mom just destroy things and seeing her just go to town. That was, you know, that was great, you know, for the when she yells for T'Challa, and I'm like, oh man, yeah, that man. moment when she Ugh. is standing atop these drones, she like rips her spear out from two of them as she's like standing yeah. atop them, and she shouts out for T'Challa as the tears streamed down her fa- streamed down her face. Like I felt that. I mean, how could you not? Um, yeah, you know, it's it, it's the type of moment that I, I pictured happening in Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, but we already got. I mean, I'm sure we will have some version of that some very powerful dedication to t'challa mm-hmm. or several of them in that movie but uh, i wasn't expecting that moment in this episode and it just it really hit and uh i i absolutely loved it and and also just the way that scene created a bond right like there was skepticism of killmonger except for of course t'chaka who is uh, being driven more by his guilt than anything else but for other characters that maybe were a little more skeptical, like Okoye or Ramonda, they like there's that nod, right? Like after Killmonger mm-hmm. and Ramonda kind of fight side by side for a moment, Killmonger gives uh, her a nod and, and she returns it. And it just kind of shows like seeing him in battle. And they show that like Ramonda clocking Killmonger as he's shouting Wakanda forever, as he's, you know, rides on the rhino and like flanks the the Liberator drone army, which was also a really great visual that she was clocking all of that and seeing him kind of battle for Wakanda. And that was what got her to buy into uh, what ultimately got her to trust Killmonger. And, you know, just from the, the adrenaline and, and everything and the emotion of that moment, um, but that's also something that's strategic for Killmonger. Like that's also part of the performance and in, in gaining trust uh, because this all is staged. Remember, he's the one 
He's the reason the drones are attacking in the first place. His plan worked perfectly fine as far as cutting off Ross's satellite signal to these drones. After that, it's Killmonger who's hitting the button and making them do all of this. And that's part of the sadness of it. Like there is, when you think about how real the emotion is for Ramonda, as she's saying for T'Challa and what she thinks she's standing up for, she has no idea that the person she's fighting alongside is the one she's actually fighting against. Because again, Killmonger is the one in charge of these drones. He could stop this at any time, but he's the one uh, who's getting these drones to continue the attack on Wakanda. And so any Wakandan lives, anyone who falls from Wakanda against this Liberator army, that's at the hands of Killmonger. They just don't know it. But uh, because they don't know it, the Black Panther lives, and not in the inspirational way that Shuri gets to say to T'Challa after they find him, uh, amongst the Jabari tribe in Black Panther, this one, T'Challa, is gone. And having gained the trust of Wakanda and, of course, King T'Chaka, Killmonger becomes the new Black Panther. So as he takes the heart-shaped herb, he travels to the ancestral plane, and he meets T'Challa. And seeing T'Challa just come down as one of the Panthers from that tree, mm. even that was another, uh, you know, another emotional punch to see him on on that level as being it, it reminded me of when ryan coogler penned his beautiful tribute to chadwick boseman after boseman passed last year ryan coogler talked about chadwick being one of the ancestors now and you know that's what that represents you know those panthers on the ancestral plane that's what that is in this world and so to see him come down from that perspective was really impactful as was the conversation that they had with T'Challa opening it, was it worth it, my cousin? And just T'Challa acknowledging him as his cousin, because that's something mm -hmm. that, remember, when when T'Challa died, he had no idea he had a cousin, right? Like, you know, Killmonger referring to him as cuz doesn't have to mean literal cousin. Like, that's not something that T'Challa knew. That's a truth that, of course, he would have learned in the afterlife. And so the, the back and forth between the two of them, was it worth it, my cousin? Yeah, I did what I had to do for what a throne for vengeance for my father and for all my brothers and sisters who suffered through oppression while you just sat back and watched, which of course is exactly what Killmonger would accuse the Wakandans of doing many years later in the sacred timeline. And T'Challa says, as we point out philosophical differences here, you believe the cure for human suffering is more suffering. And Killmonger says, the cure is power and now I have it. To which T'Challa responds, because you stole it, power unearned can be a very volatile force cousin it will get the best of you eventually on your plane or on ours. And then, of course, we see the war rages on per uh, Ross, and Shuri is ready to team up. Meanwhile, Shuri has left Wakanda. She's there to team up with Pepper to stop Killmonger because nobody on either, either side of this can see what Killmonger is doing but for, apparently, Shuri and Pepper, so they agree to open everyone's <laughs> eyes together. Uh. Uh, you know, I, I, you're, I, you're not wrong. You're I not feel wrong, like the Sean, evidence not. Shuri has is something that Ramonda and T'Chaka would be like, well, wait a minute, that does change things. Um, if you have evidence that, uh, that, that, of course, Killmonger indeed was the one who killed T'Challa, that might change things. But whatever, uh, we'll see how they pick that up where they go on, because clearly this story is going to continue from this point. Maybe not in the very next episode, but before this season of, of What If is done. But... I want to go back to the conversation on the ancestral plane between T'Challa and Killmonger because I thought this was so good. And I, I think it, it really highlights the downfall of Eric Killmonger in that 
not just T'Challa's warning, but this is where Killmonger, as as valid as so many of his motivations are and so much of his perspective is, that ultimately the the deep flaw within Eric Killmonger is that he's not just trying to he's not just trying to liberate the oppressed. He is not just trying to correct a power imbalance. He is trying to establish a new power imbalance in his favor. He wants power. Like the cure is power and now I have it. Not now we have it. Now I have it. And that is part of it with Eric Killmonger. That's why in Black Panther in 2018, he can say all he wants that he's trying to empower everyone else, but he's not trying to empower them. He's not trying to make anyone as empowered as he is, which is why when he takes the heart-shaped herb, he says, burn the rest of them, burn them all. Meaning now that I have this power, I got to make sure that for any amount of power I hand out, nobody gets as much as I've got. And that is where you see with Eric Killmonger that, sure, there's a lot of things that he stands for that are very well-meaning and, and can be considered noble and good, but there is still that, that deep, selfish power grab uh, that, he's, that he wants that uh, ultimately shows that he's not, he's not pure of heart, that there may be a lot of things that he stands for that, that are, are valid, but ultimately what he stands for uh, above all else is, is making sure that he, he is the one on the throne and he is the one who is the most powerful. Yeah, this was um, a great kind of again a twist of a scene, seeing him in in, in the astral plane or whatever um, dimension, and I love I, again this episode was great because it definitely ended on okay what happens next and what it teases and like you said yeah the endings it's like you no know, only Pepper Potts and, and Shuri can figure this out okay all right I, I I'm rolling with it episode's bit was was. A great episode. It was written beautifully. I thought, again, when you're condensing a huge, a, you know, a, basically a two-hour movie in a 30 minutes. I mean, you gotta, gotta come to slack a little bit, and that's where I, you know, I'm okay with. And, you know, this was one of those things where I'm really excited where it could go next because it feels like we're gonna get uh, Shuri and maybe in some kind of Iron Man or something like that, where maybe they'll cross Iron Man and, and Black Panther together. Something like that against Killmonger. Now that he is essentially going to be Black Panther, and so yeah, there's just lots of interesting ideas where they could take the story, or who's going to assist Shuri. You know, I mean, now without Iron Man, the Avengers even exist. Is that something that Nick Fury can even do? I mean, there's a lot of fallouts from Tony's death and what Killmonger is doing that are going to affect everything. You know, even to, you know, Thanos and, and the cosmic cube, there's lots of things to think about and all that. So again, why well, I love what if, and so all these endless possibilities of stories and everything. So yeah, I, I love the ending, the ending of this episode and exactly how they're going to end. it. It's going to be very fascinating. And again, it's so great seeing Killmonger. God, I, I can't wait to see him again show up. It's he's so good. He's so good. Yeah. He's just, an outstanding character as performed so brilliantly, whether it's in live action or an animated form doing the voice acting with Michael B. Jordan. He's just unbelievably good as this character. And and I really love this episode. Like, and don't take any of my, you know, nitpicks about certain things or even if they're slightly more than nitpicks, like, yeah, okay. Shuri and, and Pepper being kind of the yeah. only ones to see this and, and Shuri not just presenting that very damning evidence yeah, I mean, these are, are fair criticisms to call out. 
as far as the plotting of these episodes. And, and they all kind of have that to an extent, right? Go back to episode two with uh, T'Challa just being way too forgiving, way too fast of Yandu for having done something really, really terrible to a child, <laughs> to right. T'Challa himself as a child. Yes, some of these things are, are oversimplified and in ways that don't totally uh, make sense or, or always ring as true. But some of that is just bound to happen when you're trying to tell these these huge stories within a 30 minute time frame, and ultimately what's good. And even especially in the case of this one, great about these episodes far exceeds whatever might be not so great ab about these episodes. So uh, I, I really, really love this one and, and thought it was special and, and it's going to continue from there. And, and so that's also part of where I can give it the benefit of the doubt on some of this, like, this one definitely left threads to continue on. Like, they're not just going to leave it like this. That, uh, of course, Shuri and Pepper are going to work to uncover what's been going on with Killmonger. But also, I think it's, mo it's more than just being about proving that Killmonger is a bad guy and taking mm -hmm. him down. This story continues for the sake of Eric Killmonger. Whether uh, whether or not we see T'Challa's warning come to fruition, you know, power unearned being very volatile and that it's going to get the best of Killmonger eventually. Is it going to get the best of him in a way where it is his downfall and it leads to him losing his power, maybe even losing his life? Or maybe will it be something that gets the best of him in a way that he learns from that? And that's something that we haven't really seen from Killmonger, whether it's in the Sacred Timeline or this one, is there something within Killmonger, within Eric Stevens, that mm. can be reached? Is there some part of him where you can take out, where you can remove what has corrupted his otherwise valid perspective, his otherwise his otherwise valid philosophy, that if you can take out the the part of him that is maybe maybe the part of him that has this lust for power, it's driven by him being so powerless as a kid and spending so much of his life being powerless that it's given him this obsession to always end up overcompensating for that. If he can get over that and get over the quest for power and just focus more on actually being a, a liberator or being a force for liberation, being a force for all of these things that he claims he stands for and doing so in a, in a genuine and selfless sort of way, maybe there is a part of him that could still do that if he is reached within the right moment at the right time or by the right person. And maybe T'Challa from the ancestral plane is part of that. So I think there's a lot of things there that are very, very interesting. Uh, and of course, this episode ends on a, another beautiful note that was almost reminiscent of the dedication to Chadwick Boseman at the end of episode two, where the watcher says, heroes are never really gone. They live forever as do the ones they inspire to carry on the fight. Um, so T'Challa living on with the people he's inspired in this uh, in this universe, certainly within the sacred timeline, and Chadwick Boseman, of course, within this timeline that we are all a part of. And that was a really special way to end this uh, really special and, and great episode. Uh, that is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you so much for listening. We will be doing our breakdown of the Hawkeye trailer on Fan Show Plus, which you can access by searching for MCU Fan Show on Apple Podcasts and subscribing. You can subscribe there and get the Fan Show Plus podcast, which is exclusive there, or on Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. -E -E or just hit the link in our show notes, and then follow us in all the places you can. 
We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow, or I should say subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing a special uh, MCU-required reading for Shang-Chi and just kind of where the story of Shang-Chi could go after this first film. And uh, can I go dive into a little bit of the history, at least in the comic books, um, with Shang-Chi a little bit? My good buddy uh, Alex from Comic Book Historians will be joining me, and it's going to be tons of fun. So look for that early next week, and I can't wait to get on that. So, yeah, check that out. Yeah, check that out for Shang-Chi, Paul. But uh, Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm so bad. You know me. I have terrible names. That's that's true. But uh, we all miss Dormammu. Anyway. I, uh, I, I, I miss it, too. Yeah. I miss it, too. Got, got to bring that one back. <laughs> Um, I'm bringing it back. Yep. So uh, if anybody out there wants to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can do that at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.